Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR show, where we save you time by providing you the too long didn't read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube with video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Cybersecurity TLDR. I am your host, John Good, and this is going to be your threat intel briefing for the week of August 14th, 2022 to August 20th, 22. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to leave a like, comment, and subscribe. That way you get all future content as it's released and you'll get notifications for that. If you are listening on podcasting platform, make sure that you subscribe and you leave us a review. Let us know how you're enjoying it. If you think there's things we can do better uh, and all that good stuff. Also, just another note, uh, the description will have a link to the show notes. So if you actually want to look at the, the articles that we're talking about, then you can go check out more information on those as well. With no further delay, let's go ahead and jump into the articles here. So first article we have is Ukraine's cyber chief comes to Black Hat in surprise visit. So if you don't know, Black Hat and DEF CON, these are major conferences for security professionals. Um, primarily, it's a lot of hackers that end up at a lot of these, but Black Hat specifically tends to be more on the leadership side. So you get a lot more of the senior leaders and things like that that show up. And then DEF CON, you get kind of more the the hacker mindset, the people that like to tinker. But uh, Victor Zora, Ukraine's lead cybersecurity official, made an unannounced visit to Black Hat in Las Vegas last week, where he spoke to attendees about the state of cyber warfare in the country's conflict with Russia. Uh, the picture that Zora painted was bleak. Zora, who's the deputy of Ukraine's state services of special communications and information protection, said that cyber, inc cyber incidents in the country have tripled since February when Russia invaded Ukraine. Zora told attendees that Ukraine had, had detected over 1,600 major cyber incidents so far in 2022, but reports don't include elaboration on how uh, such incidents are classified. A number of uh, huge incidents happened between March and April, Zora said, including discovery of the industry, uh, Indestroyer 2, an apparent successor of, to the Indestroyer malware discovered in 2017. And uh, if you don't know what Industroyer is, it was a particular nasty strain that was able to control electrical uh, substation software and cause power blackouts as well as damage equipment. So basically the idea is that it would go mess with power grids and that equipment and try to destroy it if it could otherwise cause, you know, significant issues. So this is really interesting just from a general standpoint and kind of the evolution that we've seen over the last, you know, especially last several years that government officials are really trying to recruit these groups of people because, you know, ultimately a lot of these kind of events like Black Hat and DEF CON, they attract very talented people, right? And a lot of times, especially, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, a lot of these kinds of people were really frowned upon and looked at in a negative light. You know, these are bad people. These are people that are going to try to break into our networks. And they're going to try to do harm. Like there's no good people in these networks, right? So you have a lot of people that go by pseudonames. Uh, so like screen names or kind of aliases because they don't want to be, you know, discovered to be going to these things. But in reality, a lot of great things come out of these types of events. You know, new vulnerabilities are detected, zero days, O days, however you want to phrase it. And all kinds of techniques and things like that 
you know, that are really beneficial to the broad, uh, the broad landscape of cybersecurity. So it's great to see, you know, an official like this coming over and obviously, again, probably trying to recruit some people in order to help. And if nothing more, maybe uh, just like we've seen some people that are politically motivated going after certain companies and things like that in Ukraine and Russia. Um, but, you know, probably trying to recruit some people to at least kind of contribute, even if it's not an official capacity. So pretty interesting, uh, definitely cool article and definitely cool to see, right? Uh, Pentagon put microgrid technology to test at DEF CON drawing on hackers ingenuity. This is kind of what I was talking about, right? The Pentagon will deploy uh, local self-contained electric grids on, on, uh, or microgrids to 134 army bases beginning in May. But, they, uh, but first, they tested the technology at DEF CON, looking for hackers' help uh, finding potentially crippling vulnerabilities so that they can better preempt cyber attacks. There was a quote, if we lose our public infrastructure, we lose stability. So getting hackers thinking about how to break in and how to manipulate the data and what that data will, uh, will do if it's manipulated. I think it's a really good idea, he said. So that was a, a quote that came in there. Um, that's exactly the Pentagon's aim. Defense officials said that they came to DEF CON in hopes of finding potential hacks and working to prevent them because they understand that microgrids can be vulnerable. So again, you know, any kind of critical infrastructure, power grids, uh, water plants, you know, anything like this are crucial to protect. And again, you know, these kind of events, they draw people who have access to the latest and greatest kinds of exploits and things that are surfacing uh, on dark web and all these other areas and around the community. And so it's great to actually test something and really see its resiliency, right? Especially when it's going to go to the power grid. Well, yeah, we want it to be secure. We don't want it to be hackable, especially, you know, if it's just some, uh, some random, relatively low skill set uh, person, you know, let alone somebody that has a lot of skills. So again, we're going to see more and more of this. We've already seen more and more of this. We've seen bug bounty programs that have been instituted by like the Air Force, uh, the United States Air Force, uh, a couple of the other, um, a couple of the other branches as well. We saw the Pentagon have one. And uh, yeah, we're going to keep seeing this more and more. They're really going to start, you know, or continue rather to recruit these kinds of talents. So that's great. Uh, there was an article also too that said the 14 scariest things that we saw at Black Hat 2022. I'm not going to talk about them specifically, but I will have the link in the show notes. So I would highly recommend checking that out, especially if you didn't go to Black Hat. Uh, I personally did not go to Black Hat, unfortunately, but uh, definitely worth checking out. Next article, Starlink successfully hacked using $25 mod chip. So a Belgian security researcher has successfully hacked the SpaceX-operated Starlink satellite-based internet system using a homemade circuit board that costs around $25 to develop, he revealed at Black Hat. Leonard uh, Wouters revealed, revealed a volt fault injection attack on a Starlink, Starlink user terminal, UT, or star, uh, satellite dish that people use to access the system. That allowed him to break into the dish and explore the Starlink, net, Starlink network from there, he revealed in a presentation called Glitched on Earth and Humans at the annual ha uh, Ethical Hacker uh, Conference that happened. So um, uh, let's see here. He developed the tool using low-cost off-the-shelf parts 
and was able to uh, use it to obtain root access by glitching the Starlink, Starlink UT Security Operations Center boot ROM, according to a tweet previous, previewing the presentation that he said he sent through a rooted Starlink UT. To design the mod chip, Wouters scanned the Starlink dish and created the design to fit over the existing Starlink board. He soldered the mod chip comprised of a Raspberry Pi microcontroller flash storage, electro, uh, electronic switches, and a voltage regulator to the existing Starlink PCB and connected it to a few uh, connected it to connected it using a few wires, according to the report. So, uh, and then it also says that this was revealed to SpaceX in a bug bounty program. So just from a career standpoint, if you're looking at ways to contribute to finding vulnerabilities or anything like that, check out bug bounty programs. I highly recommend it if you really want to show your hacking chops, especially because, you know, things like this, I mean, this is hacking Starlink, right? Like a satellite communication system. Uh, that's not going to be some kind of standard thing, you know, that everybody's going to get experience doing. And so if you can show something really cool like that, that's great to put on your resume, right? Uh, you know, you probably get hired or they'll try to hire you at a company like this. And just the fact that he was able to do it with low cost parts. I mean, that's obviously an issue, right? Because a satellite, you know, it's up in space. If you can, uh, even if you can just control, let's say you can control kind of like the, uh, like boosters or something that it has on it to kind of keep it in orbit. Well, you know, then you could adjust where it's sitting. You could crash it into other satellites or other, um, you know, uh, space rockets or something, right? Like uh, space vehicles. And you could cause all kinds of havoc. You could bring it out of orbit, right? And crash it into, uh, into a country or something like that. And so uh, just, it's pretty cool just being able to, you know, develop something like that. But it's also kind of concerning, right? Low cost parts. And you can create something that can really do some damage. That's pretty dangerous. Next article, North Korean hackers use signed Mac OS malware to target IT job seekers. So North Korean hackers from the Lazarus group have been using a signed malicious executable from Mac OS to impersonate Coinbase and lure in employees in the financial technical, uh, technology sector. While it's no surprise that they're targeting workers at Web3 companies, details about the specific social, enge social engineering campaign so far were limited to malware for the Windows platform. Uh, Lazarus hackers have used fake job offers in the past. And in a recent operation, they used malware disguised as a PDF file with details about positions at Coinbase. The name of the false document was Coinbase underscore online underscore careers underscore 2022 underscore 07. When it launched, it displayed the decoy PDF above, uh, above and they uh, included an image of it too. Uh, and loads a malicious DLL that ultimately allows threat actors to send commands to the infected device. So if you haven't been following the, the episodes that we've been doing or the show, we have talked about this before, that, uh, that there are attempts to use PDFs and things like that to deploy malicious payloads. Specifically, uh, we have also talked about North Korean hackers going after um, basically the job market, right? So applying to jobs, trying to, get inf trying to infiltrate into companies, or going after job seekers and you know, all that kind of stuff. So that in itself is not news. But, um, you know, I think especially with this, using signed macOS malware, I mean, that in itself is dangerous. Traditionally, a lot of places, a lot of companies, a lot of security teams, things like that, people that kind of didn't know any better would kind of write off macOS as far as the security because, you know, it's locked down. They, they don't let me install whatever other kind of stuff. Um, and that's obviously not true. <laughs> you know, it, 
maybe some of those procedures and those controls and things like that um, certainly can help as far as you know controlling the security and limiting the damage that you can do, but not completely. Typically, you know what happens is a lot of the malware and things like that they go after the mass audiences. So, you know, less people on Linux, less people on Mac OS, is it in their best interest financially, uh, these malicious people, to go after those systems? You know, probably not. But starting to see that is, you know, obviously an issue uh, in general, you know, just a personal thing. Don't open up PDFs that people send you that you don't know them, especially. You know, that's dangerous, obviously. So, yeah. Um, And definitely because they're going at Coinbase people, you know, definitely trying to go for. Uh, kind of that cryptocurrency market. We've seen a lot of uh, a lot more attacks and things like that trying to target that industry because that industry is still not regulated a ton, and they're kind of operating in the wild, wild west type of sense, trying to figure out how to um, secure their protocols and their their blockchain and all that stuff. So um, we've definitely seen an uptick uh, on attacks towards that market. Let's see here. Uh, next article, attacker technique, techniques. Feds say that Zeppelin ransomware resurfaces with new compromised encryption techniques. C- the CISA has seen a, res- a resurgent of malware targeting a range of verticals and critical infrastructure organizations by exploiting RDP firewall vulnerabilities. Zeppelin ransomware is back and it's employing new compromise and encryption tactics, uh, tactics in its recent campaigns against various vertical industries, particularly healthcare as well as critical infrastructure organizations, the feds are warning. Threat actors deploying the ransomware as a service, the RAAS, are tapping remote desktop protocol, protocol RDP exploitation and sonic wall uh, firewall vulnerabilities alongside previously used phishing campaigns to breach target networks, according to an advisory from the uh, CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, which is a U.S.-based agency that handles a lot of the um, cybersecurity for uh, critical infrastructure and things like that. Uh, Zeppelin also appears to have a new multi-encryption tactic, executing the malware more than once within a victim's network and creating different IDs and file extensions for multiple uh, instances attacks. The result is the victim needing several unique decryption keys. So, you know, typically with encryption, right, you need a key to decrypt it, right? And so basically what's happening is they're running this against things multiple times and they're you know requiring multiple decryption keys, right? It's kind of like, uh, do you remember those boxes that you've seen where it's like a little tiny box inside a little bit bigger box, inside a bigger box, inside a bigger box, inside a bigger box, right? Where you kind of stack it inside of each other. Uh, this is the same kind of you know idea, right? So you need multiple keys to unlock those other boxes. So it's kind of like you're, it's kind of like a video game too, right? Where you need uh, multiple keys to unlock multiple doors to get to that end boss, right? You know, same kind of idea, I guess. But, um, you know, definitely an interesting uh, tactic, right? Makes it a little bit harder because you've just got to get more keys to decrypt everything. It also kind of adds complexity. So I'd be interested to see, you know, ultimately if you get like 50 keys, right? Or, you know, whatever, 10 keys or something like that. Is there some kind of issue that eventually arises from that? Maybe you can't provide all 10 uh, decryption keys because it's just too complex at that point. I don't know. 
but kind of dangerous for you know people that are getting their files encrypted and stuff. So, uh, newly uncovered PyPy package drops file as crypto miner on Linux systems. This isn't really something that's that new either, as far as you know, going after infrastructure to uh, create crypto miners. A now removed rogue package pushed the official third-party software uh, repository for Python has been found to deploy crypto miners on Linux systems. The module named Secret Libs was downloaded 93 times prior to its deletion, and it was released to the Python package index PyPy on August 6, 2022, and is described as secrets matching and verification made easy. On a closer inspection, the package co uh, covertly runs crypto miners on your Linux machine in memory directly from RAM, technique largely employed by fileless malware and cryptors. Uh, then we also had another article, Malicious PyPy Packages Turn Discord into Password-Stealing Malware. A dozen malicious PyPy packages have been discovered uh, installing malware that uh, modifies the Discord client to become an information-stealing backdoor and stealing data from web browsers and Roblox. So, you know, just kind of a general sense and a general perspective on this is you have to be aware of what you're downloading, right? If you are... If you're downloading packages that seem that they're going to be legitimate and they'll be helpful, you have to really look at them as far as, you know, how, uh, what, what they offer, right? What they bring to the table as far as feature set for your organization. And does it actually accomplish that? Does it deliver on that? Uh, also, too, I mean, some of this, you know, think about this as a third-party package from like Python, right? Like PyPy. Uh, you know, do you trust what that developer is providing, right? From a third-party kind of perspective, how is your supply chain? Are you pulling things in from a third party through somebody else? So, I mean, there's a lot of concerns in general with that kind of perspective when you're not getting everything specifically from that, when it has dependencies. So when you're not getting it from one company, right? And we, we've seen other stuff like this too. So that, in a sense, is not that new. But, you know, you have to be careful, especially with open source stuff. It, it can definitely come back and hurt you. Uh, Blackbyte Ransomware V2 is out with no, new extortion novelties. Black, uh, Blackbyte Ransomware version 2 appeared in the threat landscape. After a short break, the latest version has a new data leak site. So typically, a lot of these vulnerabilities, a lot of malicious software, we will see it a lot of times kind of disappear, and then it will resurface right? It resurfaced as a new version, as a completely new type of malware or a new name, right? Um, that definitely happens too. Gang allows victims to pay 5,000 to postpone leaking their data of, uh, for 24 hours, download the data for $200,000 or destroy all the data, paying a ransom of $300,000. Prices aren't fixed and they could vary depending on the importance of the victim. So that's one thing that's kind of new, right? We haven't really seen a lot of examples of this um, kind of payment plan option, right? That's what I'm going to call it, a payment plan option. We've pretty much seen, you know, a straight up ransom on ransomware. But this has a $5,000 payment plan, right? Uh, you know, it's a unique strategy for sure by the attackers. But we've also seen companies, you know, try to pay uh, ransoms through either themselves or through third parties like T-Mobile had an example where they tried to get a third party to pay the ransom to the, the malicious group, the ransomware group, and so that they wouldn't release their data, but that didn't end up working. So 
you have to be careful with these ransomware groups because ultimately, you know, a lot of them, I, I wouldn't trust them, right? And then how do you handle that? Do you pay the, the payment plan until you can figure it out, right? You know, it, it, a lot of questions still with ransomware that we still, you know, we have to always ask ourselves when we get attacked, you know, but then it comes down to good security in the first place. You know, what, where do you have access to data? Where is, uh, um, you know, really proprietary or uh, important information? Where does that sit on your network? How do you have it protected? What kind of protections do you have in place? Controls do you have in place? You know, there's a lot that goes into security. And definitely these kind of things, uh, you know, they, they are a result of, not, of having too lax security and not enough controls in place or the right controls especially, right? So. Uh, when T hackers split COBOL strike into 154 pieces to evade detection. So a Chinese Win T hacking group, also known as APT 141 or Wicked Spider, targeted at least 80 organizations last year and successfully breached the networks of at least 13. The researchers say that Win T targeted hospitality and software development firms in the U.S., an aviation firm from India, government manufacturing and media entities in Taiwan, and even software vendors in China. So one of Winteek's uh, or Winteek's unique deployment methods for the Cobalt Strike beacons involved obfuscating the payload of the host to evade detection by software. According to group, the group IB report, the hackers encode the payload in Base64 and break it into number, a uh, large number of smaller pieces consisting of 775 characters, which are then uh, echoed to a text file named DNS.txt, as shown uh, in the article. So. You know, attackers are always going to try to evade detection. A lot of times, a lot of these systems use signature-based detection, so they are using what is a known attack or a known technique, right? So if it was like, I'm going to create this certain file size uh, with a certain file name, and it's going to do this. You know, that, that's an example of a, a signature. And, you know, so this is always a back and forth between the, uh, the, the companies that develop the software or they develop the signatures and the malicious groups. And they're always trying to figure out ways to evade that signature, right? And then the, sign the signature company, they update the signature and they make a new signature, whatever, and then they release it out to their software to detect it. So if you didn't catch that, the signature companies or the companies that make the software the, uh, to catch this stuff, they're always behind. That's a serious issue. And I don't know that in a lot of cases there's gonna be a way to really fix that, right? Is very uh, reactive. Um, certainly, we're trying to do things like artificial intelligence and trying to develop that kind of stuff, and um, you know, heuristics and behavioral analytics and like all this kind of stuff, right? But um, you know, currently that's not the case, right? We're still operating a lot based on signatures, and it's you know continuing to be a big issue. So, but kind of interesting uh, ev evasion uh, evasion technique. So, uh, vulnerabilities. So Janet Jackson, Janet Jackson music video declared a cybersecurity exploit. The music video of Janet Jackson's 1989 pop hit Rhythm Nation has been recognized as an exploit for a cybersecurity vulnerability after Microsoft reported it can crash old laptop computers. Turns out that the song contained one of the natural resonant frequencies for the model of uh, 5,400 RPM laptop hard drives that they and other manufacturers use, Chen wrote. It's listed as CVE 2022-38392 and has already been acknowledged by security vendor Tenable. So 
I included this article just because this is kind of cool, right? Like this is a cool technique. If you can get the right frequency in a video or something, you can just crash a laptop or crash a computer. I mean, that's scary, right? Like, cause that's a pretty, um, I would say novel kind of attack, right? Like you just got to get the right frequency in there. And I assume it's pretty easy to generate specific frequencies and include them in a video, right? Like just record them and then release the video and put them on YouTube or something crazy, right? And then cause all kinds of havoc. You know, that, that's an issue for sure. But it's definitely, you know, very, uh, you know, like I said, very simple kind of attack that could cause a lot of damage hypothetically, right? Uh, career news, Cyber Command's rotation problem exacerbates talent shortage amid growing digital threat. U.S. Cyber Command lost yet another seasoned leader earlier this month. Lieutenant General Charles Tuna Moore, second in command behind General Paul Nakasone, retired after serving roughly five years at Cyber Command. By all accounts, he was effective, an effective, impressive figure, having completed a, Kennedy, uh, a Harvard Kennedy School cybersecurity program in 2019 and advancing through the ranks to help oversee the military's primary digital warfare unit at an increasingly critical time for cyber defenses. But even, when, uh, even for a talented military service member in his 50s working inside a, a part of the military that White House officials, Pentagon leaders, and lawmakers say is dangerously understaffed, long-standing policies, and a military staffing system that makes it nearly impossible to remain. There's no seat for him, sources said, pointing out that Moore is just the latest example of a long line of forced retirements where top generals aren't promoted and they reach the end of the line. So if you don't know how this works, basically, once you get to the top of the military, certain ranks, there is a certain uh, timeline that you have in order to get promoted, to get that next rank. That's basically the idea. And so you know, once these, uh, these staff members or, you know, a lot of staff members, it applies to a decent amount of levels. Once they start hitting that, that threshold, that time frame, they are forced out. They are forced to retire by the, the requirements. And, you know, that's absolutely an issue, um, especially in a large organization. And we'll call it an organization like uh, the military, right? Because that's effectively what it is. It's a bit, it's a huge, enterprise. Uh, you know, they're just, they're forcing out their top leaders who have, you know, a ton of the experience because they just can't get promoted. There's just not an opportunity that's open. You know, that's a serious issue because you lose a ton of knowledge. You lose a ton of talent at, you know, in somebody that has been there for a long time. They have a lot of that kind of, um, that tribal knowledge, right? That inherited knowledge from just being there for so long. And you know, I would say that's a serious issue. I, I think that they should absolutely kind of look at that policy, especially for critical areas like cybersecurity, right? Like, I don't know if, I don't know if there's certain areas where it makes sense to kind of extend that time frame, but certainly cybersecurity, you need people that are experienced, people that can get stuff done and that people can, you know, they have knowledge of how things are configured, how things have evolved and all this stuff. That knowledge matters. So I hope that they will kind of look at this, especially for cybersecurity, because, you know, we can't lose people like that. And then also too, you know, being completely honest, you know, somebody like this, they're going to be forced to retire where they probably didn't want to retire. 
and they're going to go be a contractor or you know, go to some other company and they're going to make a ton more just doing what they were doing when they really didn't even want to retire necessarily. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's not necessarily in the best interest for everybody, right? Like if you want to stay and you're in cyber, uh, cyber security, cyber command, and you're still an effective leader, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't force them out. Maybe we shouldn't force them to leave. That's in organizations too, right? Like not just the military, you lose people that have been around for a while. You know, you lose a lot of that inherited knowledge and, um, it takes time to get people spun up, especially at, you know, I would say early on, you know, when you're like a junior person, it's going to take you some time to get spun up, but you know, you're, you're pretty new. You're going to be, your impact is going to be very low, right? As you increase in the organization, your impact becomes more significant. And that time of you getting spun up is really important. Do you have the capability of being able to get spun up really quickly? And in an organization like that where you're leading everything, maybe, you know, maybe that's more of a challenge, right? So um, we'll see what happens with that, if that changes over time. I don't know if it's going to happen for, for this guy, but, um, you know, maybe for other people, right? Cybersecurity workforce diversity efforts lag in the C-suite. So while the cybersecurity field has attempted to make strides in diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, DEI, in recent years, 82% of cybersecurity executives leading the industry are white men. A recent study of global security executives found that 18% of C-level leaders surveyed identified as diverse candidates, which the survey defined as people of color and or women. These demographics in the C-suite reflect less gender diversity in high-level cybersecurity leadership roles than in the industry as a whole. Women make up 24% of the cybersecurity field, according to an ISC squared work study, workforce study. So I think this is true with a lot of industries, a lot of places, you know, there's, you know, sometimes there's not diversity and that's obviously a bad thing. We need diverse thought processes. We need diverse skill sets. We need diverse people, right? Diverse workforces. And, you know, this will, um, this is something that, you know, continues to be looked at in a lot of organizations. How do you handle this? How do you address it? How do you get a more diverse workforce? I think specifically in cybersecurity, one of the things that really limits us, you know, is typically, for example, a lot of the training tends to be very expensive. And, you know, I'm, I'm not harping on any of, the, um, any of the training programs out there that are high quality because there's a, there are training programs out there like SANS and stuff like that that are phenomenal quality. Like this stuff is so good and it, it dramatically decreases the amount of time that you need to get spun up on a certain subject. Like you can't fight me on that. I'm like, I have uh, three GIAC certifications. So I've gone to three SANS trainings and I'm telling you this stuff will get you spun up really, really quickly and get you on the ground running. With that being said, you know, a course itself is like seven, $8,000, not including travel or anything like that. So if you just did it like on demand or whatever, like seven, 8,000, right? Um, so we need to figure out how to develop people, you know, throughout the life cycle. And I think that in general, cybersecurity, we're short on workforce and we're short because we also don't know how to put people into place that don't follow the traditional path, right? The traditional path, a lot of times was you would go be an IT 
you know, work help desk and kind of work your way up. You'd go be a programmer or something like that. You'd work in tech and then you would go into cybersecurity leadership. You know, that's, that's how it evolved. Right. And so, you know, I, I think training is definitely one area where we can help to uh, increase the diversity and inclusion aspects of things, but you know, we'll see. Uh, personally, I make a lot of training and I, I really focus on trying to make things that are going to help people and that are going to get a lot of people into this career field because, you know, whatever it was, three and a half million job shortages by like, I think it was 2025, you know, that we've got to fill that gap somehow. We've got to get, we've got to figure out how to get people spun up really, really quickly and get them into jobs so they can be effective. Even if that's not, you know, at a senior level, because, you know, getting somebody at a senior level is very hard. Getting somebody in management level is a different kind of difficulty because, you know, yeah, in a lot of cases in a management level position, you need to know uh, about cybersecurity, at least to some aspect, right? Like you need to know what some types of attacks are or some of these basic things, how networks kind of operate, but at a high level, you don't need to know, well, like I configured this switch or this sub interface on this device in order to set this firewall up and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you... I am not the believer that you can be in a cybersecurity uh, leadership position and not know some of that stuff or not get spun up on some of that stuff. Certainly, you're not going to be hands on the keyboard and you're going to be more making sure the right pieces are in the right place. But if you can't understand some of the stuff and how it interacts or how it works and be able to relay that information to other leaders, you know, because you're going to be expected to do that, that's, you know, obviously a concern and that is going to be a limitation. So, but we're not going to solve the workforce issue in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year. You know, it's going to take effort and it's going to take time and it's going to be an evolution uh, that we're going to have to go through. So, and all right. So that's going to wrap it up for today. Again, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to leave a like, comment, and subscribe. Let us know how we're doing. Make sure uh, that way you also get the future content as I release it. And then also, if you're listening on podcasting platform, because we are available on all those popular platforms, the Spotify, iTunes, all that stuff, make sure to subscribe and then also leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. And with that being said, also make sure to check out the description because there will be a link to the show notes, but that's going to be it for this week. And I will see you next time.